Welcome to The Road to Rural Prosperity, featuring stories about rural Oklahoma and rural America. Guiding us on the journey today is our host, Ron Hayes. Well, thank you, Billy, and welcome to The Road to Rural Prosperity. I am Ron Hayes, and glad to be along with you today, and I'm especially pleased to have our guest host, A.J. Griffin, former Oklahoma senator, back with us again today. A.J., once again, helping us out in this area of health care as relates back to rural Oklahoma. And uh, A.J.'s special guest today is Carter Kimball. He uh, appointed back in June by Governor Kevin Stitt to be his Deputy Secretary for Health and Mental Health. A.J. and Carter will be talking about the state of health care in, in Oklahoma, uh, how it uh, impacts both urban and rural Oklahomans, and uh, what the state administration hopes to accomplish in making it a better experience for everyone involved in the health care system, whether we're talking about practitioners or we're talking about patients. Today, our journey down the road to rural prosperity being powered by OPSRC, Oklahoma Public School Resource Center, They envision a quality public education for every child here in Oklahoma. Their mission, to drive transformation and increase academic achievement within Oklahoma's public education system. We'll be back with A.J. Griffin and Carter Kimball here in just a few moments. in Oklahoma City, the Oklahoma Public School Resource Center envisions a quality public education for every child in Oklahoma, and their mission is to drive transformation and increased academic achievement within Oklahoma's public education system. The Resource Center is a nonprofit organization that provides essential resources, professional development, and technical assistance to the state's public schools. They advocate for high-quality instruction for all Oklahoma students and support increasing classroom innovation to provide them a challenging, globally competitive education. With communities from border to border, Bank First lenders understand the needs of today's agricultural market. Whether you need to purchase land, equipment, or livestock, or maybe need an operating line of credit, call on Bank First. They are a certified lender with the Farm Service Agency and can help with specialized financing when other banks can't. Bank First is proud to serve the needs of the Sooner State's agricultural market. Bank First is loyal to Oklahoma and you. Member FDIC, loan subject to approved credit. Welcome to this edition of The Road to Rural Prosperity. Today we're again talking rural health care. I'm A.J. Griffin, your host, uh, sitting in, helping Ron out as we discuss health care. And I'm very pleased to be joined by today's guest, Carter Kimball. Carter is the Deputy Secretary of Health and Mental Health for the state of Oklahoma. But, Carter, welcome, first of all. Thank you. Thank you. Very glad to have you here. This <clears> is <throat> the first hat you've worn in state government. <laughs> it is not. Um, you and I have worked together on uh, <clears throat> health care across the state of Oklahoma for several years now, but tell us a little bit about your current role, how you got to this point, and what it means as um, Governor Stitt implements his goals for the state of Oklahoma. Yeah, so uh, I served, uh, my, I cut my teeth, you might say, uh, at the Oklahoma Healthcare Authority, which administers the state's Medicaid program. Uh, I was there for seven years. Uh, I then did a short stint at the uh, health department before some of the uh, unfortunate mishaps there. I was gone by the time that that happened. And then I uh, most recently, before working for Governor Stitt, worked at uh, Oklahoma State University uh, at their academic medical center and with their medical school. Um, So that put me in a kind of unique position to have worked kind of in the payer, 
regulator provider space within healthcare, which was something that the governor's office was kind of keenly interested in when they started looking at um, their new structure around uh, the governor's ability to appoint agency directors. When that happened last legislative session, they really started identifying some needs, uh, just sub subject matter expertise, uh, and they asked me if I would like to come on and kind of be primary liaison for the governor's office to those health and mental health agencies. Um, I had obviously seen inside of them and worked very closely with others. Uh, and so I was, I was happy to do it. I did not have a previous relationship with the governor and uh, have been really, really pleased uh, kind of with how we have uh, kind of come together on a couple of things and, and seen where it goes. Structurally, it's unique. A lot of other states have these big umbrella agencies where their secretaries sit within the uh, agency. Um, I office in the governor's office. I um, sit in on senior staff meetings and things like that. And so it's uh, more than, a, than tooting my own horn, it's a testament to how important he sees uh, health care for the state, that he wants to kind of bring that into the, to the inner circle. That's not true across other other cabinets. Well, you, you mentioned that we're going to talk about health care and specifically in in rural Oklahoma, but you mentioned that we have a little bit of a different structure. Just to yep. and to simplify a very complex and complicated um, w way of delivering health care, the majority of rural Oklahomans are generally served by one of, of two different payors. That's the Medicare program mm -hmm. and the Medicaid program. Mm -hmm. Walk us through <clears throat> the difference between those two and then how Oklahoma oversees the Medicaid program. Sure. So, so Medicare, uh, Medicare is a federal program. It is federally administered. They contract uh, with kind of private uh, entities to administer some of those benefits. Um, and the state doesn't have uh, any oversight or or uh, operation. And the Medicare Medicare program Medicare. is for individuals over right. sixty five over sixty five years of age or uh, disabled. And you you pay in for most of us. You you pay in throughout your working years to the Medicare program, That's and then right. after you turn sixty five, the the concept is you're recouping that those funds that, that you've paid into that that system. contribution. Everybody is probably familiar on their. Uh, on their pay stub, there's a line that says Medicare, and that goes to the Medicare Trust Fund. Um, so Uncle Sam is there, and he's ready to pay for your hospital bills once you get to that point in life. Medicaid, on the flip side, Medicaid is going to be, uh, traditionally it has been for low-income children, uh, pregnant women, and those who are also low-income and age-blind or disabled. Many of those folks can also be on Medicare. Uh, a lot of things that people kind of forget or just misplace unless you're living it, uh, Medicaid pays for uh, long-term care. Medicare pays for short-stay uh, rehab. So effectively, if somebody is low-income and on Medicare and in need of nursing home care, uh, they don't have an affordable uh, option really outside of the Medicaid program. Um, so you mentioned before, how does the state? So the Medicaid is a, a state and federal partnership. The Oklahoma Healthcare Authority, my my previous employer and now one of my cabinet agencies, uh, administers the Medicaid program. Um, there is somewhat of a mother may I relationship with the federal government uh, for Medicaid, to where the state 
uh, has to put everything. Um, it's called <clears throat> it's called a state plan. The state plan is the contract with the federal government that says, hey, you've got federal laws to finance the Medicaid program. This is how we, the state, are going to uh, administer that program. And it's laid out in the state plan. You can also ask for a waiver. You can waive certain provisions and cover uh, different benefits. Um, We do that. A good example is the Intro Oklahoma program. That allows us to, instead of just paying directly for medical services, we can subsidize a small business to help them purchase insurance for their employees. So there are some kind of nuances there, but that's administered here with the state, um, uh, with the governor and the legislature, and and, uh, in partnership with the federal government. So you can't talk about healthcare really without talking about, you know, those of us that mm-hmm. like to get into this, talking about payer mixes. That's right. So we're in rural Oklahoma. Let's say we've got a, a hospital in Elk City or Watonga, um, somewhere in western Oklahoma, or maybe it's in Pryor up in northeastern Oklahoma. What's the the percentage of that hospital's income that's probably going to come from one of those two programs? Yeah, so it's interesting. Between those two, really what you have just by nature um, – of the demographics of, of what you see a lot in rural communities, what you're really going to get is a roughly about 75%. Okay. So three quarters um, three of quarters, the dollars that walk through the front door of that hospital come from one of those two government programs. It comes from Medicare or Medicaid. <clears throat> the rest of that coming from uh, private insurance or uh, just uninsured. In some communities, that's a whole lot higher, um, but statewide... Uh, our uninsured is about 14 or 15 percent. Um, and so there's about the easy math is 10 percent commercial uh, payers, the Blue Cross Blue Shields of the world, 15 uh, percent uninsured and the rest being Medicare or Medicaid. So those two programs are extremely important. Extremely important. They underpin a whole lot of the finances. You know, one of the things that Medicaid is often credited with, uh, the state administers a very lean uh, Medicaid program. Um, but has been able over the years to put in um, some really good uh, kind of technology interfaces as far as getting providers paid. And so a lot of providers, Medicaid is the lowest payer uh, of those, obviously. So so for the same service, there's going to be different costs that are paid for that exact same service, and the low end of that is Medicaid. That's right. The only thing under Medicaid is obviously someone who's not insured. Not insured. That's, that's zero. <laughs> so, so zero is lower than <laughs> Zero is lower than what Medicaid pays. Yeah. Uh, in some instances, not much. Medicaid is not a great payer, but they are uh, easy to work with and they are uh, quick in their payment. So a lot of, especially rural facilities that have such a high threshold of Medicaid, they use Medicaid uh, really to cash flow operations. A lot of other commercial payers or even Medicare have a whole lot more um, procedure associated with approval of payments and prior authorization and things like that. So Medicaid, in addition just to the to the coverage, their ability to pay quickly and easily is really important for a lot of our rural facilities. So if, if my guest um, sounds like he knows an awful lot about these programs, <laughs> that is his job. That's Carter Kimball, again, who is the Deputy Secretary of Health and Mental Health for the state of Oklahoma, working in directly with Governor Stitt's cabinet. So let's talk a little bit, move back up higher to 10,000-foot yep. level and just talk the state of health in rural Oklahoma in particular. We don't rank very well. <laughs> it's not pretty. 
it's not a pretty picture. Um, what you see really across the nation, and then we can zoom in specifically to the rural parts of our state. You see higher levels of poverty, uh, which is a, a, a pretty significant indicator of health outcomes. Um, you also see a relatively high level across the nation of <clears throat> substance abuse, mental health issues. So obviously, <clears throat> with the issues around the opioid epidemic and things like that, Oklahoma is not foreign to that topic. That's been one that really exacerbates a whole lot of uh, problems. And so really, uh, it is... Uh, it is really tough for communities to uh, survive and be sustainable if a whole lot of their workforce is dealing with mental health and substance abuse issues. And that stands true for healthcare as well. And so you see a whole lot of uh, lost worker productivity and absenteeism. Uh, that makes it hard for regular employment and things like that. You'll get a whole lot more seasonal employment, <clears throat> which again lends itself to higher. Uh, folks, number of folks being on Medicaid. Um, as far as health outcomes, the ones that are, you know, killing the country are killing Oklahomans. It's heart disease, obesity, uh, diabetes, and then really tobacco. Tobacco is still a big problem in the state. Um, it is really the, it's the number one cause of, of preventable death and disease and uh, has been for years. Our rates are getting better. Uh, nationally, we're still well above the average, and so we've got some room to improve. But um, we are in the uh, we are in the wrong side of the rankings in all of those: diabetes, heart disease, uh, tobacco use, and obesity. And so that's really where the governor would like to see. Uh, some improvements. So let's talk about those improvements. Governor yep. Stitt, of course, he talks about top 10 um, a lot uh, in all yep. areas. Yep. But have we started to identify what exactly that would look like? How would Oklahoma change? And in particular, how would rural Oklahoma look differently if we were top 10 in health instead of in the bottom five? Sure. So top 10 is, uh, is obviously a lofty goal, especially when it comes to health care. But I think it's important to keep the frame that if you're not, um, <clears throat> if, if you are interested in top 10 and health outcomes and you fall, say, 20 places short, you are still saving lives, many lives. Uh, if we get to the national average in health outcomes, um, a study a couple of years ago done by the health department uh, put a number to it and said that there would be um, 5,320 lives saved just from getting to the national average. Um, that's a significant number. And so as we approach healthcare, <clears throat> or really just health uh, in general, healthcare is a piece of that. A lot of it is culture, right? Being able to um, be active, uh, being mindful about uh, what it is that you're putting into your body, uh, things like that. There is also elements of health care. What do people have access to as far as primary care and prevention? Uh, what about uh, mental health and behavioral health? There's still a lot of stigma around that, which is unfortunate. Um, a lot of good science coming out of uh, a lot of the state's providers. Uh, OSU, my former employer, is is really on the front edge of, of brain health and some things there at the medical school. And so we're finding a whole lot more that really isn't, um, you know, behavioral health and substance abuse issues and things like that. 
uh, it's not about bad decisions. There's there's science and, and, and brain chemistry that's going on that some people, um, they fire off different hormones than you or I um, when they're exposed to different things. And so um, that's really what you're dealing with. And when you're trying to be accountable to those outcomes, you really do have to look at uh, three behaviors that lead to four conditions that result in 60% of, of deaths in okay, the so state. Let's say, let me break that yep. down again. Three, three behaviors. Three behaviors. That result in four conditions. Four conditions. That result in 60% of deaths in of the deaths. state. That's right. So the three, three behaviors, four conditions, 60% of deaths. Yep. Okay, so this I, I, is I was about to say, so I've already hit the four <laughs> conditions. The okay. four conditions are heart disease, uh, obesity, diabetes, and then cancer. Okay. Cancer's the one that really shows up because of the tobacco. So if you back up from that, the three the three um, behaviors, tobacco use, uh, sedentary lifestyle, how much people are moving, and then uh, diet, nutrition. Those three things, um, like I said, those are all just kind of, um, they're not super sexy. Nobody's going to, you know, think about it. And a lot more of the science is starting to point to, um, people moving more, not just acutely. People think, oh, if I can't get up and go jog today, then it's not worth it. That's not actually true. Moving around the house, getting up and walking the, the dogs, uh, doing that kind of thing, and just moving more regularly is actually just as beneficial as somebody who says, oh, I get up and jog two times a week, right? So being able to do that is, is really a big thing. And so a lot of it is is cultural uh, in, in how we approach so health. So how do, you know, we're talking about health care yep. and then health. And those three things, the right? three things that result in four conditions that, re- that lead to 60% of our deaths, those three things most people would say, well, those are personal choices. Mm-hmm. You choose to smoke, you choose what, how much you exercise or move around, like you just said, right. or, and then what you eat. Yep. But what's the connection between those three decisions and health care, having access to a physician that you see regularly? Yep, and I think this is where the country, you know, Oklahoma especially, we're not uh, immune to this. This, but the country at large has really treated healthcare as <clears throat> well. How, I want healthcare to make me healthy. Healthcare, the healthcare system is really built um, once you are sick to start taking care and treating those things. They're really good at symptoms. If you come in and you have a symptom, the healthcare system in America is bar none, it is the best in the world. Uh, Oklahoma has tremendous health care providers. What we have uh, misaligned our values is that the primary care and prevention, the frontline uh, workforce for Oklahoma, that's where we're struggling the most, especially in rural areas. But that's where you get into things like health literacy, and it's not whether or not you can read what's on your pill bottle. It's having good information about, hey, this is what nutrition actually looks like. You don't have to avoid uh, fat. There are particular fats that you very much need in your diet. And so it's education and, and, and some literacy and some things like that. I think that it's very easy to point to, um, you know, just some risky behaviors and things like that in, uh, in adolescents and teens that, you know, we could be, you know, to the argument that is, oh, well, this is a personal choice. <clears throat> 13-year-old comes home, sees nothing but junk in the cabinet. 
That's not their choice. They didn't go grocery shopping, right? It's some of those things. Um, so it's just making sure that good information is out there and that primary care and prevention a network that really is a focus. We'll talk about more about what that looks like um, coming up, but that really is a focus of the governor to be able to wrap around those uh, those personal decisions and, and support that movement towards a healthier Oklahoma. So the access to the front line, to the, the, the nurse practitioner, yep. the, the, the family practice doctor that's in your local community you have a relation, relationship with, you know them, and you trust their information. That's very important. That's right. I'm A.J. Griffin. This is the Road to Rural Prosperity, focusing on rural health care today. Our guest is Carter <coughs> Kimball, the Deputy Secretary of Health and Mental Health for the State of Oklahoma, serving in Governor Sitt's Cabinet. We're going to take a short break and we'll come back and resume our conversation about rural health care in our great state. Headquartered in Oklahoma City, the Oklahoma Public School Resource Center envisions a quality public education for every child in Oklahoma. And their mission is to drive transformation and increased academic achievement within Oklahoma's public education system. The Resource Center is a nonprofit organization that provides essential resources, professional development, and technical assistance to the state's public schools. They advocate for high-quality instruction for all Oklahoma students and support increasing classroom innovation to provide them a challenging, globally competitive education. The Oklahoma Rural Water Association. They've been representing water and wastewater systems across Oklahoma since 1970. The Oklahoma Rural Water Association was formed to enhance the quality of life in rural Oklahoma through the development and delivery of services and programs for the benefit of ORWA members and the rural people they serve. Let's continue our journey down the road to rural prosperity. Once again, our special guest host today, A.J. Griffith. Thank you for joining us on the Road to Rural Prosperity. We are discussing rural health care. I'm A.J. Griffin, your host today, and I'm joined by Carter Kimball, the Deputy Secretary for Health and Mental Health for the State of Oklahoma, serving in Governor Stitt's cabinet. Um, you liking this new position, Carter? Uh, I will tell you, it is, uh, it's not boring. <laughs> it, it is never boring. I am doing a, a whole lot of what I really enjoy doing. It has been incredibly rewarding. And, and hopefully, I haven't, <clears throat> I haven't been in the governor's office uh, during a legislative session yet, so I'm sure I'll have uh, maybe different opinions <laughs> about, about session when that takes place. But no, I've been, we've been making a whole lot of good progress with the agencies and things like that. So it's been great. Well, the biggest change that I have seen in my meetings with, say, um, Director Brown at the Department of Human Services, and of course, um, you know, Secretary Buck and I know each other very well. Sure. But in any of, of some of the, the new members of state government that, unlike you and I, haven't been around for a decade or sure. so dealing with this, the, the thing that I think is the biggest difference is the expectation around technology. Yeah. And it, it is a glaring difference between the previous administration. And you, government always lags behind because it just it moves more slowly. But to have so this new blood that's used to mm-hmm. having access to all <clears throat> of the, the newest tools right. and come in. And, you're, you know, I, I always looked at, in the healthcare arena, 
Um, we have some folks that are trying to you know, work in this century that are <laughs> dealing with technology from maybe the 1970s in some situations, maybe right. not that old, yep. but it feels like you're so far behind. Yep. You know, when the state government lags behind the, the capacity of the iPhones my kids carry, <laughs> um, you, you know that, that this administration is approaching technology completely differently. You and I have worked on some projects mm-hmm. in the past before, um, telehealth in mm-hmm. particular. I know you know an awful lot about Project Echo with Oklahoma State University, where they're using technology to try to close the gaps between access to care in rural Oklahoma and the care that you can get in the urban areas. But let's just talk in general about technology and the expectation for the use in technology in all of state government mm-hmm. over the uh, the next several years with Governor Stitt. <clears throat> well, I think that's absolutely right. So one of the things that Governor Stitt really came in and, and was a, a sore spot of frustration for him early on was um, the lack of uh, attention to uh, customer service and how customers interface with the state. Um, it is heavily paper-based, um, which just leads to uh, longer work time in the back office, what people see. It leads to longer intake time, the part people do experience. Uh, and so there has been a cross-state government on all things. Um, there has been a heavy push to get to a place to where uh, technology is uh, enabling folks to interact with state government uh, easier, more conveniently, uh, more accountably. You know, if one of the things that, you know, you have to keep in mind is that if you have a paper record and that paper record disappears, well, you don't have that record anymore. Um, so there are even elements like that to uh, security of information um, that, that technology really lends itself to. Healthcare is uh, ground zero for that. I mean, it is a perfect example of where uh, delivery of services has been held back because of a lack of implementation of technology. Uh, I think that the uh, Department of Human Services is really on the cusp of some great things. Um, Also, you know, the big three of the cabinet agencies, so that would be the Department of Health, uh, the Healthcare Authority, and the Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse. They are on the front edge of um, a state uh, health information exchange, which really is how do we um, take the data that we have currently and just use it better? How do we use it more efficiently? How do we protect it better? Um, We've been working a whole, a really long time. Governor Stitt came in and said, look, this is a priority. We're going to do this. Let's get it done. Um, and we put an RFP on the street uh, last month to go and make uh, our state uh, interoperable statewide. Okay, so explain that a little bit more. What, first of all, what's an RFP? So <laughs> you're right. So RFP is a, a request for proposal. Okay, this is so how the state goes through purchasing. So something. we're asking the vendors and different companies out there. That's right. Give us your best shot yep. to solve this problem for that, us. That's okay. right. So we go out and say, hey, right now. Uh, private market, we don't have a solution for uh, effectively sharing the information that our state agencies and healthcare providers have. Help us fix that. So how would that change life? If, let's say you're um, 
you're caring for your elderly yep. grandmother and you live in a small town Perfect in example. western Oklahoma. Yep. How would having a seamless system yep. improve your ability to help provide care for your grandmother? It's not going to be day one, but the the premise really is think about cancer treatment. This is a good example where somebody comes into Stevenson Cancer Center at the University of Oklahoma here in the city. Somebody comes in and receives their their treatment. Maybe it's a, a procedure. Maybe it's regular chemotherapy or, or radiation. Um, and then they go home. The link between that doc at OU and the primary care doc in the clinic and or say you're in a nursing facility. The ability for uh, family members and caretakers to uh, right now to navigate the, here's the list of medication, Mm -hmm. here's when they take it, how they take it, uh, what needs to be on it. Pharmacists are a way underutilized uh, provider Mm -hmm. in our system right now. We can talk about that if you want, but, but technology really empowers family member doesn't have to worry about mom's scripts when they take mom from cancer center back home. That information, which is already available, it's just not efficient, um, is, is then uh, transported. You have to, the other thing about security uh, on that front is that if you have things like paper, we've been e-prescribing, right? Electronic prescribing for a while now. But that's a good example of how you plug that in. A paper uh, prescription, again, if you lose that paper, then the prescription is gone. Yes. So a health information exchange, it's the same as prescribing just with your record. So if you go into the city and get a scan or a test, you are not on the hook for figuring out how to make sure that that test reliably gets back to your provider. That's the premise of the health information exchange. Well, I can see some cost savings there as well because we're not duplicating things. Tremendous. Nobody has to go and say, okay, well, when was the last time you got this? And rely on patient or family member, caretaker to say, well, I think what you're talking about happened six months ago. None of that happens anymore. Provider is able to go and access um, uh, information. And, and the other thing that I really want to emphasize it's, it's the security that we're able to put on that information now um, through a health information exchange. Somebody has to be able to, to log in securely and establish that this is my patient. So random provider uh, is not going to be able to access somebody's information. This has to be your provider, and you have to, you have to uh, allow them to see it. There is a consent process and things like that. You know, I've always found it kind of interesting that we, when it comes to security, there's so much emphasis placed on cyber security. And if you think about it, that what, you know, the... Think about the number of people in the world that can figure out how to hack into a computer system. Now compare that with the number of people in the world that can break into a file cabinet. (laughs) So (laughs) to think that it is less secure because it's technology-based is actually – it's just incorrect. It it is It's a lot easier to break into a file cabinet than it is to hack a computer system. I wouldn't know how to do do one. I could probably do the other, although I won't claim to have ever done it. I've never actually broken into a file system. But technology is going to play a huge huge role especially yep. in you know closing that gap in the quality of care that's available 
in the rural areas and then what's available in the, the center of the state. And you mentioned Stephen Cancerson, uh, Cancer Center. You know, um, with Stevenson here, we lead the nation in the number of clinical trials around cancer that are occurring right now. We mm-hmm. have some world-class care. Um, but getting to that care yep. has been the challenge. And um, give us some other examples of how technology is going to help close that gap. Yeah, so I think you mentioned Project Echo before. And for those who are not familiar with Echo, it really isn't um, – in practice, it is pretty simple. But in impact, it is amazing. So what the premise of Echo is, is that a hub – In this case, in the state of Oklahoma, there are other Project Echoes around the country and around the world. Um, In Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma State University Center for Health Sciences has really um, taken grab of that charge of being uh, rural and and underserved focused um, so that they use Project Echo, which isn't much more than a um, web teleconference. Um, What you allow for providers to do is uh, dial in. There is a a panel, a team of providers that is there with very specialized expertise. Um, So the example around cancer is a great one. If you have a very rare form of cancer that has uh, some unique uh, set of therapies or treatment, a primary care provider in any community across the state can dial into an echo around this particular uh, cancer. It can be uh, various things, hepatitis C, it can be communicable diseases, it can be diabetes, it can be pediatric obesity. There are uh, different uh, modules. And that primary care provider is them empowered. And instead of primary care saying, boy, this is really out of my wheelhouse, let me send you into the city, they are able to lean on that expertise at no cost to them and say, de-identified, you know, health information, security compliant, and say, I've got a patient that has this list of symptoms, that has these Uh, kind of demographic information, how should I proceed? And they get to treat that as a uh, a consultation. Uh, And so it's things like that, that really you want to talk about cost savings, not only to the state or to payers, right, who are having to figure out how to get somebody from point A to point B, um, but to families. You're not having to take time off of work, you're not having to figure out a way how to get somebody in town or not, is it going to require an overnight Uh, You know, it's all those types of things that you're really freeing up just by uh, technology and the ability to go and access uh, information that's out there. It just isn't everywhere. It's not in every community. So another example would be you are a relatively new family practitioner. You've decided you want to practice in rural Oklahoma, set up your clinic in Hennessy, and you run across your first case of juvenile diabetes. Yep. That would allow that physician to access all and staff that yep. kiddo's case yep. with experts here in Oklahoma City, and but maintain the relationship with that. that, that that's patient. exactly right, and I think the other thing that it it does is that you are then able to access a network of care. Uh, that if that specialized expertise isn't sitting on that web call with you. 
Um, there is a workflow process to get information back to that provider. And also, uh, you have a, a, a potential to say, hey, this really is getting outside of my uh, comfort level. Let me send them to you. And you've got somebody familiar with the, with the patient already. Um, so there are elements there to quality of care, um, continuity, being able to link back up uh, with the same provider and things like that. that that's just really great. So that Project Echo, Echo is an example of how Oklahoma State and the Center for Rural Health, um, and you know when you look at OSU, the charge of that medical school actually is to provide physicians for rural Oklahoma mm-hmm. and to meet that the health needs of our, our rural citizens. There's another really interesting partnership occurring between Oklahoma State and the Cherokee Nation. That's right. Um, very exciting and kind of this is a first in the country kind of yeah. thing to have happen right here yep. in Oklahoma. Tell us about it. <clears throat> so uh, really the vision a couple of years ago uh, that has just come together, you know, it's nice when things work out <laughs> the way you envision them. Um, <clears throat> a couple of years ago, the conversation really came about uh, tribes noticed that they were having to um, uh, kind of recruit and retain their own physicians. Uh, they were very interested in sending some of their high-performing uh, tribal members in, in high school and things like that, trying to direct them towards medicine or at least STEM careers, science, technology, uh, engineering, and math. Um, and I think that that acknowledgement got the tribes to a place of saying, you know, we have a, a medical school in OSU that already has the land-grant mission, you know, kind of at their core, which is really rural and underserved. And so it, it kind of locked up uh, hand in glove when the conversation came. Uh, Cherokee Nation was uh, in the process of um, building a new hospital. They had some uh, space on their campus that instead of um, pushing the building over, they could figure out a way to refurbish it um, and uh, allow for clinical space. One of the, you know, kind of little known things about a medical school is that you have to not just have classrooms. (laughs) You have to have very. You, mean uh, you don't lose learn everything <laughs> in a book. <laughs> in, in a book, you know, you do have to have a library, but you also have to have uh, clinical space. You have to be able to see patients. You have to be able to uh, be exposed to uh, laboratory environments and things like that. Those are not cheap environments to do. And so, thus, Cherokee Nation came to OSU and said, "How about a satellite campus, a branch campus uh, in Tahlequah?" Uh, on the Cherokee Nation campus uh, at the old uh, Hastings Hospital. Um, And so they broke ground uh, last year. They have started enrolling their first class. Um, And OSU has been kind of on the front edge of this for a while. So they have um, some tribal and rural uh, medicine tracks within their medical uh, school programs that really allows for students to come in and kind of uh, get their hands dirty with, here's what rural medicine looks like. And it's it's different than what traditionally in medical school has been, hey, come to medical school, we'll get you practiced up at an urban hospital. And then we're going to put you, <laughs> the idea at least was, we're going to put you back out into J. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be fine when you have to go do a house call to deliver a baby. Right? That's... That's just not practical, and OSU has seen that for years and has had this rural track um, for a while now, but now they're actually putting kind of um, 
uh, truth to power. They're putting it into practice and, and putting the school out there. It's not just for tribal members, right? Anybody can go there. Um, but there are some great partnerships that are resulting in really great things. So use of technology, use of partnerships, being creative, doing things differently. Um, I think that's kind of the theme I'm hearing from you today, Carter, as we discuss how we're going to bring at least bring rural <laughs> health in um, Oklahoma to the national average, which I think you said would save over 5,000 5, lives, lives a year, yep. um, not to mention the increase in productivity that we would see and the, just the overall the economic benefit improvement sure. of the quality yep. of life. So we're, let's one last question yep. as we get ready to, to wrap it up for today. Um, there is a ballot question coming up <laughs> that is. will have a very significant impact um, could have a very significant impact on on rural health care. Can you tell us a little bit about that ballot question? When it will be? What it could possibly mean? I don't ask sure. you to endorse yeah. it or yeah, yeah, oppose sure. it, but sure. just tell us about it. So, really, uh, state question eight hundred two. This is a, a petition that uh, some Oklahomans have brought uh, together. Signatures have been collected and submitted appropriately, and things like that. It's moving through the process, and so. Um, Sometime in the next 12 months is the best answer because an election date hasn't been set for it yet. Um, sometime in the next 12 months, Oklahomans will be asked uh, to take a look at, um, at Medicaid expansion. So Medicaid expansion right now, I mentioned before, uh, children who are below a certain uh, income threshold. Um, pregnant pe- women. Pregnant women who, again, are under a certain income threshold, and then uh, folks who are over 65, blind, or have a a disability determination. Again, all those are income thresholds for how you qualify for Medicaid. That's all that we cover right now. So the idea that um, you you have uh, adults who are 19 to 64 in age, uh, they are low income. Uh, most of them we have found are working, um, but have multiple uh, multiple jobs, hourly wage jobs, or seasonal work. And so either they're not offered insurance or through their employer, or they just can't afford it. They can't make the math work. Um, so that's where you get, I mentioned before, the uninsured rate. The, a vast majority are adults. Kids in the state, pretty much already covered. We have some room to, to grow there and, and need to be more deliberate with that. Um, the elderly in the state, already covered. If you're over 65, uh, chances are real good that you have access to Medicare and or Medicaid. Um, so what you're really talking about with Medicaid expansion is this middle group Uh, You're over 18, you're under 65, and the state question says we would like to put uh, Medicaid expansion, which would offer Medicaid to those adults under 138% of poverty. That's legal gobbledygook, which is about $16,000 annually for an individual. As your household is larger, there are different thresholds, uh, but a good kind of indicator is a household of three. It's about $25,000 a a year um, in in income. 
So if you are under that threshold, then you would be able to access Medicaid. Um, I think where the governor has been on the state question before is that the state question wants to put it into the state's constitution. I think the best way to kind of describe that approach is you would be putting a play call into the rule book. Um, this is a strategy that a state can uh, uh, deploy to help with uh, the uninsured rate. But the Constitution, um, I think, in his viewpoint, is an inappropriate place for it. Um, it. It locks the state in. If we wanted to go and ask the federal government for some flexibility, uh, because the way the question is worded, we could not do that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that the premise of uh, whether or not Medicaid expansion uh, as, as, a, as a tool to address uh, kind of some of the health disparities and the health outcomes in Oklahoma, I think that's worth the debate. Let's have that conversation. And that's a space that I think he's willing to engage in. What I don't think uh, we're interested in is putting it, uh, is hard coding it into the Constitution. Uh, that's just a, a step too far, and it really does limit the state's ability to be sensitive to its particular needs and to be able to address a kind of customized Oklahoma-grown solution. So the governor's working on that. That's a, a vast majority of the work that I've been doing, um, and we're looking forward. We're going we're gonna to have a plan to roll out here in the next couple of weeks. What's that state question again? State question 802. So 802. 802. As, you, as you read and, and hear about state question 802 in the next, next several months, uh, I'm sure it, it will have to be placed on the ballot because I do believe yep. it qualifies. It will. So it will be on the ballot at yep. some point in time. Just a little background information so you've heard um, one of the perspectives on that. Carter Kimball, Deputy Secretary of Health and Mental Health for the state of Oklahoma, serving in Governor Stitt's cabinet. I'm A.J. Griffin. I've been a pleasure to be your host today discussing rural health care in the state of Oklahoma. Carter, thank you very much for being here. Thank you for having me. And we are the Ruled Road to Rural Prosperity. Thanks for joining us. Thank AJ. AJ Griffin and Carter Kimball joining us today. Carter, the Deputy Secretary in Oklahoma for Health and Mental Health. Thank you so much for being along with us today on the Road to Rural Prosperity. We'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us for today's Road to Rural Prosperity podcast. You can join the conversation about how rural Oklahoma can prosper by looking for us on Facebook. And you can find our growing number of conversations on our website, RuralProsperityOK.com. The Road to Rural Prosperity podcast series is a production of the Radio Oklahoma Ag Network and OklahomaFarmReport.com. Proud to be a part of the family of the Funk Companies.